I had already picked this, this topic, because um, you know, whenever I'm asked to teach, I always I go to God and I ask him, well, what, what should I teach on? What, what, what do you have me to teach about? And so this is the subject that he gave me. Can I have my, my PowerPoint? Is it? There we go. So it was wars and rumors of wars from Mark 13. And I think it's appropriate given the current events that are unfolding right now, right before us. But you know, before we get started, let's go to the Lord and ask him to bless the teaching and the learning as well. Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this night. Lord, I just ask that, that you would put, put in me the words you would have me to speak, Lord, that I would say what you have given me and treat it truly and, and bring it to the people in a way that they can understand it, Lord, and enlighten me as well along the way. So, Lord, just have this word go into our hearts and our minds, Lord, that we would remember it later. And Lord, just bless your word as it goes forth. It won't return void to you. It will accomplish your purpose. And Lord, I thank you for that in Jesus' mighty name. So I, I think we all know what's meant by war, right? And, but I don't think we realize how prevalent war has been throughout human history. So I want to give you some background on this. According to the New York Times, they estimate between 150 million and 1 billion people have died during all the wars through human history. Now that's quite a large spread and the main reason is it's hard to really determine the actual number of deaths during any war. Closer to our current day, we have some statistics here for the major wars that were fought in the 20th and 21st centuries. And these are just the wars that the United States was involved in. It's not an exhaustive list. And these do I have a focus on that, or or is this thing off? Yeah. Here we go. Yeah, there we go. So we got World War One, 20 million deaths, 21 million injured. World War Two, 60 million deaths, 25 million injured. Korean War, 5 million. 3 million injuries. Vietnam War, 1.5 million deaths, 1 million injured. And this is not just, you know, Americans that were killed. This is everybody who was involved in this war. The Gulf War, 300,000 deaths, 500,000 injured. The Afghan War, 200,000, 300,000. The Iraqi War, 500,000, and they estimate 1 million. That's kind of a, it, you know, maybe or maybe not. But there's been plenty of wars. This is since, just since 1900. And in fact, these historians, Will and Ariel Durant, in their book, Lessons of History, they estimate that in the past 3,500 years, there have only been 268 years where there was no war anywhere on Earth. So in other words, over 92% of recorded history, there's been a war somewhere on Earth. Now, the Bible has a lot to say about wars, including the most important war, the War of Armageddon. But we're really not going to be looking at any particular war tonight. Our text is from Mark chapter 13, and this is a parallel to uh, Matthew chapter 24. And what is related here is often called the Olivet Discourse because most of it occurs on the Mount of Olives. So Mark chapter 13, beginning in verse 1. Verse 1, not verse 5. There we go. 
As he was going out of the temple, one of his disciples said to him, Teacher, look! What massive stones! What impressive buildings! Jesus said to him, Do you see these great buildings? Not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. While he was sitting on the Mount of Olives across from the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? Jesus told them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he. And they will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place. But it is not yet the end. For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Now in Mark chapter 12, the one right previous to this, Jesus began by giving the parable of the wicked tenants of a vineyard that killed the son of the owner of the vineyard, which the religious powers to be understood was about them and Jesus. And then Jesus deals with various tests from these religious leaders. The question about paying taxes, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. The issue of the resurrection from the Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection and what the greatest commandment is. But Jesus then poses his own question to them concerning David and the Messiah, which none could answer. So he ends this section of his teaching with a warning against the scribes and he talks about the widow's gift to to God. And so concluding his teaching, Jesus now leaves the temple And as he does, one of his disciples comments about the impressiveness of the temple. Now, this is Herod's temple, as it was called. This version was called. It was indeed a magnificent structure of breathtaking splendor. It's no wonder that the disciples would be awed by the structure. This is an artist's conception of what it must have looked like. But Jesus was not impressed at all. He asked the disciples what we might call a rhetorical question. He says, do you see these great buildings? Now, we would ask ourselves, why would he ask such a question? Of course they can see the building. Otherwise, why would the disciple even ask about it, right? Make a comment about how impressive it was. But the answer to that is in Matthew 23, part of the same teaching that Mark doesn't include, Jesus said, speaking to Jerusalem, he says, see your house is left to you desolate. Now the disciples understood that by house, Jesus meant the temple. So the disciple who pointed out how impressive the temple was, was really saying, this house will never be desolate. Look how solid and impressive it is. Now Jesus knew that physically the disciple could see the buildings. But Jesus wanted the disciples to really see the buildings. Not just physically, but spiritually. Jesus had just told the crowd in the temple that it would be left desolate. Jesus knew that the things of this world are temporary and are passing away, as he points out with his next sentence. He told them that the buildings would be completely destroyed with not one stone left upon another. Jesus was telling them, I see this impressive building, but it's only a temporary structure. As massive and solid as it is, it will pass away. Jesus is telling them, don't look at just the temporary things. 
look at the eternal things. Now hearing this, Peter, James, John, and Andrew go to Jesus privately with questions. Now, I think it's interesting that one of the disciples just blurted out about how impressive the temple was and how unlikely that it would be left desolate. And here we have the four of the disciples going to Jesus privately to ask more questions. Now, I tend to believe that they went privately so as not to reveal their ignorance to the other disciples, but I don't know that. That's my own, probably reading myself into that. (laughs) But whatever their motivation was, they had sincere questions for Jesus. And they're the same questions that are being asked today. Tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? They wanted to know, as many people do today, when will these things happen? What's the sign that they're about to happen? In other words, they figured if they couldn't get Jesus to give them an exact date about when it was going to happen, they could at least get him to give them a sign that they would be, you know, they would be able to look at. But Jesus gives them a, you know, his own answer. Jesus never answers the way we think or the way the disciples thought for sure. Because Jesus tells them, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name saying, I am he, and he will deceive many. I don't think Jesus is talking about the Antichrist here. And I don't think he's talking about false teachers and prophets. The actual Greek here says, many will come in my name saying, I am. Jesus is warning that many will come proclaiming themselves to be Jesus returned to the earth. In other words, a false Jesus. And Jesus warns his disciples, these men who had been with him for years and would certainly know the real Jesus, if anyone would know the real Jesus, they would. But Jesus warns them, don't be deceived. Now certainly through the ages there have been many men who proclaimed themselves to be Jesus incarnate, Jesus returned to the earth. But we're too clever to fall for that, right? I mean, this is something that the ignorant people of the days gone by would fall for. But today, we're so sophisticated that surely we would not fall for this false Christ, right? Well, I tell you, false Christs are being proclaimed and followed today. And that in some of the best churches around. Liberal churches proclaim a Christ that was not born of a virgin, A Christ who never performed miracles. A Christ who did not shed his blood for the sins of the world. A Christ who was not raised bodily from the grave, did not ascend to heaven, and is not coming back again. This is the false Christ whom Jesus warns us about. Even more insidious today, we have the Christ being proclaimed in progressive, woke churches. They proclaim a Christ who was against toxic masculinity. But Jesus himself drove the money changers from the temple with a whip of cords. They proclaim a Christ whose religion was inclusive. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. They proclaim a Christ who was against cultural superiority. But Jesus said salvation comes only from the Jews. They proclaim a Christ who was against self-defense. But Jesus told his disciples when he sent them out in Luke 22, he said, if one of you hasn't, doesn't have a cloak or doesn't have a buff, doesn't have a sword, sell your cloak and go get a sword. 
They proclaim a Christ who's supportive of non-binary genders. But Jesus affirms in Mark 10 that from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. They proclaim a Christ who identifies with the victim mentality. But Jesus in Luke 13, when talking about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices and the Tower of Siloam that fell on innocent victims, he said, do you think you're better than them? No, he says, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. These are the false Christs that Jesus and the apostles warned us about time and time again. Then Jesus continues on with our key verse here. He says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, don't be alarmed. These things must take place, but it is not yet the end. Now today we have that war that Russia is propagating against Ukraine, a very real possibility that China might attack Taiwan. Are these concerning? Certainly they are. We should pray for the people that are caught in all this mess, and we should aid them in whatever way we can, but we should not be alarmed. Just as there are many false Christs being proclaimed today, we have wars and rumors of wars, but that doesn't mean it's the end. Does it mean we're getting close to the end? Brothers and sisters, we've been getting close to the end since Jesus rose from the grave and ascended to heaven. We got closer yet in 1948 with the reconstitution of Israel as a sovereign nation. We get closer every day, and we don't need wars and rumors of wars to tell us that. There's only one thing that needs to happen before Jesus comes back to rapture his bride to heaven, and that is told to us in Romans 11:25, where it says, I don't want you to be ignorant of this mystery, Paul writes, brothers and sisters, so that you will not be conceited. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That's it. Once the last Gentile has been saved, then God can deal with Israel, and that happens during the tribulation. And that means the church will be raptured out before then. Now Jesus even describes the kinds of wars and rumors of wars that will take place. In, in verse 8 here, he says, For nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. Now the word translated nation here is actually the Greek, Greek word ethnos, from which we get our English word ethnic. Do you see ethnic groups rising up against other groups today? Now, the far left is pushing this with the BLM movement, right? This sets African Americans against Caucasians. In fact, they push for all people of color to rise up against whom? Uh, I guess they mean, they mean people of non-color, I guess. I don't know. It doesn't make any sense, right? We are all people of color. It's just some of us are darker or lighter than others. When the people who use the term people of color, what they really mean is people of my color. And even if you are the same color as them, but you happen to have a different idea about what racial justice is, well, then you don't have enough color. So sad, too bad. Jesus mentions earthquakes and famines. Now we've had some mighty big earthquakes in recent years, 2004 Indian Ocean earthquake and the tsunami 2005 Kashmir earthquake, the 2008 Sichuan earthquake, 2011 Tohoku earthquake. The list goes on and on. Several major famines. We in the United States here have been blessed. We've been insulated from these kind of things so far. 
But 2005, Nigeria, 2006 in the Horn of Africa, 2017 in Somalia and South Sudan. Now with the supply chain issues that we're seeing today, uh, you know, we may see food shortages here in the United States, although I'm not sure it'll progress to being an actual famine. Um, a lot of us, I'm speaking for myself, can live off the fat of the land, so to speak, for a while. But after listing these major catastrophes, Jesus adds this. These are the beginning of birth pangs. Now, I've obviously never given birth personally, but I've certainly talked to women who have and also to doctors about what to expect when my first wife was pregnant. And doctors say there is actually three stages to labor. Stage one, labor begins and ends with full cervical dilation. Stage two is full cervical dilation up until the point the baby is actually delivered. And then stage three, which is the full delivery of the baby and ends with the delivery of the placenta. So Jesus says this is the beginning of birth pains, the beginning of labor. In other words, we're only at stage one. Now some labor lasts longer than others, even with the same woman. My first wife was in labor with our first son for 24 hours. The second child took only four hours. My point is that we don't know how long this period is going to take, this process. We don't know when the delivery will be complete. All we know is that the process has started. Well, we know that. And the fact that Jesus tells us not to be alarmed. And I have several reasons for us not to be alarmed about wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famines, and the end of the age in general. The first one is, those who are with us outnumber those who are against us. Now, 1 Kings 6.16 says, Elisha said, don't be afraid, for those who are with us outnumber those who are with them. Now this scripture comes from a passage in 1 Kings that describes how the king of Aram was upset because God revealed to Elisha everything the king of Aram was doing. In fact, one of the king's servants told him in verse 12 prior to this, Elisha tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in your bedroom. This so enraged the king of Aram that when he found out where Elisha was, he was in the city of Dothan, he sent his army there by night to surround the city. So Elisha's servant wakes up the next morning and he sees this vast army arrayed against them, surrounding the city. And he asked Elisha in verse 15, Oh my master, what are we to do? And Elisha responds in verse 16, For his servant not to be afraid, because those with them outnumber the army surrounding the city. And then Elisha prays for the servant's eyes to be opened, and God opens the servant's eyes, revealing in verse 17, the, the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. You know, I don't, I don't think the Bible ever tells us how many angels there actually are. But that's a lot. Right? They're covering the entire mountainside the mountain was covered with horses and chariots of fire. That's a lot. It's certainly a lot more than what they had there in people. 
But just like Elisha, we need to see things not just physically, but also spiritually. Not just the here and now, but also the eternal. This life is but a vapor which vanishes quickly. How quickly, you ask? Well, I mean, consider this. In 1970, which was 52 years ago, I got my driver's license. So in case you don't, can't figure that out, that means I turned 16 that year, okay? In that year, 1970, I was actually closer to World War II, which had ended in 1945, 25 years earlier, than we are today to 1972, or 1970, sorry. So, you know, that's why when someone mentions the distant past, I think the 40s and 50s, and they're meaning like the 1980s, you know? So, but yeah. That's how fast time, and you know, you want to know, the older you get, right? And Gene, I'm sure you can verify this for me. The older you get, the faster it goes. I mean, it just seems like, boom, it's gone. So anyway, number two, he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world. This comes from 1 John 4, 4, where John writes, you are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Now, to understand who the them are, I'm going to go back to verse one of 1 John 4, where he says, dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit's to see if they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them. That is those false prophets. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Now we can see here that the them John is referring to are the false prophets and teachers who are from the world. That is, they are motivated by the things of this world. They say the things of this world and the world listens to them because the listeners are from this world. This means that the spirit of this world, that is Satan, is motivating them. But we, brothers and sisters, have the Holy Spirit motivating us. We have God living in us to do and to will of his good purpose. Those who know God listen to the things of God. Number three, God has promised to be with us. Look at Jeremiah 1.18. Do not be afraid of anyone for I will be with you to rescue you. This is the Lord's declaration. Again, Hebrews 13, 6. It says, therefore, we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. Helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? And yet again, Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, 
which we call the, the Great Commission, Jesus himself says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. Since Jesus is with us until either the end of this age or the end of our age, whichever comes first, we don't need to be worried about what's happening in the world. Number four is God has not given us the spirit of fear. In 1 Timothy 1.7, Paul writes that. He says, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of power, love, and sound judgment. The world wants us to fear. In fact, that's all the world can offer is the spirit of fear. But God gives us the spirit consisting of power, love, and sound judgment. This is the Holy Spirit. We should never be alarmed by the goings-on in the world because the Holy Spirit's power is mightier than even Russia's nuclear bombs. The Holy Spirit's love conquers all. And we have the reasoning ability to discern the times and the seasons. We have the sound judgment that comes from the Word of God, enlightened by the Holy Spirit. And number five, it's our choice. Fear or faith. Mark 4, towards the end of the chapter, Mark relates the incident where the disciples are crossing the Sea of Galilee with Jesus in the boat. Jesus falls asleep. A great storm arises with huge waves crashing over the boat. There, and the disciples, you know, are like, are, you know, they woke up Jesus because the waves are swamping the boat. So they wake up Jesus and they accuse him, don't you care that we're going to die? But Jesus gets up, he rebukes the wind and the sea and they're all quiet and calm. And then he turns to the disciples and he rebukes them when he says to them in, in verse 40, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Brothers and sisters, there's no room for fear in our lives. We either believe Jesus Christ or we believe the enemy. But we cannot do both. We cannot serve two masters. It's either fear or it's faith. Even in Deuteronomy, in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 30, 15, right? See today, I have set before you life and prosperity or death and adversity. You need to choose every day whether you're going to live in faith or live in fear. Faith leads to life and life more abundant. Fear leads to death even while you are alive. I think we saw a little taste of this when we had all those lockdowns and stuff. And it's like, you know, we even closed the church down a couple of weeks, or I forget how long it was. It was long enough for us to be convicted about it and repent and to confess to God that was wrong. And we came before God and said, we'll never do this again. We'll never shut the doors to the church ever again because we were living in fear. Because they told us that's what you need to do. That's what the world said. Do this. Two weeks. Flatten the curve. Remember that? Yeah. 
but we fell for it. So what are we supposed to do when we hear about these wars and rumors of wars? Well, obviously we, we, we shouldn't ignore them. But we need to keep them in their proper place. The Bible warns us over and over again about the things that will happen in the last days. So we should be expecting them. We should be prepared for them. Now, I'm not talking about building a bunker you know, and hiding out in it. Uh, it, may, it may come a time for something like that, but we should be prepared for calamities and emergencies. Even the Federal Emergency Management Administration, right, FEMA, they recommend that people should have, be prepared with food, water, first aid supplies, flashlights, batteries, manual can openers, battery-powered radios and stuff like that, right, to cope with emergencies like loss of power or chemical spills or other natural catastrophes. I mean, we're kind of lucky here. We don't get tornadoes. We don't get hurricanes. Barely even get any snow, right? You know, so, but you know, we do get power outages. We get, we get lots of heat. We get lots of wind. We get stuff like that. If the power goes out long enough, we might lose water, right? So you, know, you should be prepared. If the power goes out long enough, you're going to lose what's in your refrigerator and freezer. You know, so we need to be prepared. But more than that, God's word says we should be prepared as well, right? Matthew 24, which like again, I said is a companion chapter to Mark 13. After Jesus describes the signs of the end of time, he says this in verse 44. He says, this is why you are also to be ready because the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So we're supposed to be ready. We're supposed to be prepared for whatever happens. But even he goes on later in Matthew 25 and he says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. So not only are we we to be prepared, we're to be watching. And this was the theme of the conference. Donna, I should make you get up and show off your... (laughs) The back of her hoodie says... What does it say? Eyes on the skies. We're supposed to be watching. Right? Paul echoes this in 1 Corinthians 16, 13. And this is the New King James Version. It says, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. And the word translated watch here refers to someone on a night watch, as a night watchman remaining awake and vigilant, ever on the alert. Now, we're not called to be chicken little running around in panic when these things happen, nor are we called to be completely apathetic and uncaring about what is happening in the world. We're called to be ready, and we're called to watch. And there's also one more thing we're called to do. We already looked at this verse, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. See, I almost said Holy Ghost there. I'm a King James kind of guy, you know? So, <laughs> Teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. So we're called to go. We're called to spread the gospel, the good news, that Jesus Christ died for our sins, 
so we can share in His righteousness and come to God with a clean heart. This is critical and is tied to the end times. Now how may you ask? You may ask, well, two scriptures tie the spreading of the gospel to the end of time. Matthew 24, 14 says, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations. And then the end will come. Romans eleven twenty five, which we looked at before, I believe, but it says, I do not desire, brethren, that you would be ignorant of this mystery, lest you be unwise or be wise in your own opinion. Blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in. The end cannot come until the gospel has been preached to all the world, to all the nations. God cannot deal with Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. Now, this conference, Ed Henson, he, he wrote more than 20 books on Bible prophecy. He's a teacher at Liberty University. He was a speaker at the conference. And he had this to say about, and this is my paraphrase, he said, the rapture can't occur until the last Gentile that is to be saved gets saved. And that's why we're told to preach the gospel. Because we don't know who the last one may be. So lack of fear, being ready, watching, spreading the gospel. There we go. I'm oh, sorry. That's all for us who are children of God. If you're not a child of God, then you have every reason to be afraid of what's happening in the world. But if you want to face these uncertain times without fear, and perhaps somebody's here or listening tonight because God is after you. If the Holy Spirit's prompting you to accept the offer of free salvation and release from fear that Jesus made possible through his work on the cross, come talk to one of us. Send us an email. Send us a message or something on the live stream. And we'll help you become a child of God because who knows? Maybe you are the last Gentile to be saved, right? And your salvation will usher in the last days. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for this evening. I thank you, Lord, for this word. Help us, Lord, today to not, not operate in a spirit of fear, but in that spirit of love, in that spirit of sound mind, Lord, in the spirit of the Holy Spirit and not the spirit of this world, not the spirit of fear that this world puts on us and wants us to accept. Lord, help us to just be faithful to the calling that you have given us. Help us, Lord, to, to be those things, to be vigilant, to be watching, to be ready, to be expecting that you'll return any moment. Because, Lord, whether you come down to get us and meet us in the sky, or, Lord, whether we meet you through the natural process of just dying, Lord, you're coming for us. 
one way or the other, you are coming for us. And Lord, these things will happen. These things in the world, these scary things are happening. In the, and Lord, would help us to understand we don't have to be worried about that stuff. We need to be vigilant. We need to be watching. We need to be understanding the times. We need to be helping people. But Lord, help us to just not be afraid. Not be afraid. Help us to be operating in that power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, I just thank you for this evening. Lord, may your name be glorified in everything. Amen. <laughs>